fans, and welcome to part two of this podcast, episode 35, with Steve Cunningham. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and as mentioned in the previous podcast, Steve is a veteran of the industry with 20 years plus experience in animation, and so he had a wealth of information to share with us and just some great insight. And so we divided this one up into two podcasts. So here is part two of the podcast with Steve Cunningham. All right. Well, one of the things that kind of stuck out with me when I was listening to the interview that Jason had with you uh-huh. uh, is he mentioned you really think about your shots. Yeah, analysis paralysis, they okay. tell me. Okay. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? How you, how you approach a shot, why he would mention that stuck out to him quite a bit? I don't recall the interview exactly, but I think, again, it comes down to, you know, uh, I have all these crazy ideas about animation and stuff, and, and I thought one time what makes a good animator or at least a successful animator. I boiled it down to three things and I, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm saying that this is how I felt at the moment. And that those three things are a strong understanding of mechanics, biomechanics, really strong understanding of biomechanics, an understanding of basic film structure and the ability to take direction. Mm. And so when you're asking about, you know, really thinking about my shots, I think that sort of is born out of, um, understanding a little bit about story. I don't know. I don't pretend to know much about story, but there was this book that was recommended to me called screenplay by Sid field. It's a screenwriting book. And the first couple of cha- chapters, he talks about writing characters for screenplays. And if you replace the word screenplay with animation or some sort of variance of there, it really opened my eyes into character and, and, and to the fact that every shot exists in a movie for a reason. So when you boil that down as a basic understanding of character motivation and character study and then how that fits against you know where the plot points are and arcs and stuff like that, the first thing when I get cast a shot is I try and identify why the shot in the movie. Because if all you do is that in terms of delivering the, the communi- communicating to an audience why the shot exists in the movie, if all, if all you do is that, you've done your job. If you bring something to it that's entertaining or funny or memorable, then you've done your job well. But if you haven't done that, you failed to do your job, no matter how good the animation is. So every shot exists for a reason. So I think the first thing I try and do is say, what information does the audience need from this moment, from this shot? And then from there, it's sort of, then you, then you ask questions. Uh, I ask questions like, okay, so who is this character and why are they here? You know, uh, you could even break it down further. And I got this from the, uh, like Sid Field describes a screenplay as a noun, like a noun, you know, a person in a place doing his or her thing. And you could apply that to your animated shot. Your shot's about a person in a place doing his or her thing. So who are they? Where are they? What do they do? And and once I understand that sort of stuff, a lot of it I find being an animator is a lot of it's about problem solving. You know, uh, you know, how am I going to get from here to here in the shot in this many frames and communicate this emotion? So I think, you know, in terms of approach to shots, it all begins as, you know, why does this shot exist? You know, why do we need this in the movie? When you understand that, then you say, okay, well, who's in the shot? What are they saying, if anything? Uh, you know, all these things you're answering that. And then say, okay, well, now, how am I going to do that? More more the craft of it. You know, if, if he's got to get from A to B and you've got X amount of frames and he's got to take five steps to get there, you, know, you can break it down that way and say, okay, well, that means maybe it translates into a 12-frame uh, March time walk cycle. So then you know where your keys are. As a really simplified example. So I kind of try and... You know, what do they say that uh, the sculptor has sculpted an elephant and someone asks him, wow, how'd you do that? He says, well, I just removed everything that wasn't an elephant, you know. And, <laughs> and in some ways that, that applies and, and you sort of chisel away and, and, and what you're left with is, 
you know, what it means to be left with. You know, like, like I said, I love quotes. What is one of them? Is like, nature is beautiful in its simplicity and nature is no dummy, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> so the thing you have to remember is that doing something in a simple way doesn't mean it's easy. Like, right. You know, what Ernest Hemingway is famous for saying something like, I wish I had time to make this shorter. <laughs> You know, when he was writing letters of books and things like that. And so, you know, I try and think about that stuff. And, I, you know, even though I think about all this stuff, I, I, I don't succeed every time, but it doesn't mean that I don't, you don't strive for that excellence. Mm -hmm. But for me, it starts with understanding why this child exists, who's there, what are they going through? And then, again, we were talking about that feeling when I said dominance. Whatever that, I try and, if I can, pick a, a word that describes the moment of this character. And then, can, what what body language supports that and you know, I'm not, you know, like I've, everyone says avoid cliche. I have my own theory about that, but you try and do, you're trying to come up with something that, that is natural for that character at the moment. You know, it's hard to separate saying, I'm not animating me. I'm animating the character, like Manolo or Joaquin from the Book of Life. And if I were them, what would I do? Mm. And so you try to, to use this sort of magic what if uh, saying and, and Try and put yourself into that character's spot at that moment in time that you know why because you've done that dissection. So well, what would I do? And then and then and then start dig deep in that. And then you know, and sometimes the answer is, what would I do? Is my, I would give it to work because the shots do next week. You know, so <laughs> and sometimes that plays into it. Sometimes you look at it and say, okay, the goal for this shot is to get it done in a timely fashion because we need the footage. You know, <laughs> but I do like to think about that stuff because. That's the fun stuff. The fun part is is that exploration, I find. Mm. Now, why do you feel like body mechanics is so important? I, I have my own thought, but I want to hear from you, obviously. Okay, so will you share your thoughts before after I do? Okay, yes. Okay, so the way I look at it is character locomotion, moving a character around space is, I mean, the, the feature films aren't comprised of waist-up shots. And again, from the screenplay book, you know, he talks about action reveals character and that what your character does in a moment will describe who they are to an audience more than anything they can say. So, you know, physical actions really, you know, show, you're showing visually an audience who the character is without them saying anything. And even if they're saying something flowery, uh, wonderful, if they're doing something contrary, then you have the juxtaposition. So I think that, you know, characters' actions reveal more to an audience about than their dialogue. But if you compare it to, say, a good actor in live action versus a bad actor in live action, a bad actor in live action can still move around a room in a believable way because they're using their own body. You know, they know how to walk. They know how to move. They know how to pick up objects and stuff like that. But if you can't do that in animation convincingly, like, uh, you know, weight, shift, balance, momentum, all these things, then how are you ever going to uh, allow the audience to move past that and enjoy the moment and say, this character exists independently of someone sitting at a computer. This character exists on their own. And if you, if they don't move around believably in space like an actor does, then that, that illusion can be destroyed. You know, I'm not saying there aren't cheats. You know, you have the cartoon physics and all that other stuff. But, but ultimately, if you have a character walking around screen and the walk is wrong or it doesn't work or it just feels off, maybe uh, something's weird about it, then you're gonna, the audience, I don't think, is going to buy in that this character exists because they don't, they, there's something not right. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but that's, that's exactly it. That's how I felt. Um, I remember jumping from the body mechanics workshops here at iAnimate to the acting ones. Yeah. And feeling like I had some solid acting choices. Yeah. But if you can't get that body mechanics correctly to communicate your 
acting choices, it falls apart. You can't now you can't communicate what you wanted to communicate in right. all your in all your acting because it's exactly what you're saying there. You, the the audience can't get past the uh, bad the bad body movement. Right, right, and and also you know mechanics in a way like we, if we go back to the three things I was saying like the uh, film structure, mechanics, and take direction. Okay, so if you understand why your shots in the movie, and you can do the mechanics to get there, and you're showing your first pass to the director. The third part of that that thing for me is that the director says, you know what, that's great. Why don't you have him lead with his opposite foot? So then you have to you have to dissect you, you know like uh, you have to dissect it and rebuild it, and you have to understand. Okay, well if I'm going to do that, then it's going to affect this, 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 and this. You know, I think in CG the sometimes people are. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's wrong for me because my brain doesn't work that way, but certainly everyone has their own process. But if you're just moving, let's say the Bane body card around and getting that working, I find it harder to build in the weight balance underneath that mm -hmm. for me. And if it works for anyone else, then, then that's what you do certainly. But for me, I, 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 I kind of need to know how the character's grounded to know, you know how they feel and how they move. But yeah. if you can't do that, then then you're sunk because you're not, you know, if you're starting out and you don't have a good sense of mechanics, you're not going to start out with those waste-only acting shots. And even at that, you still need to know all that stuff. Yep, yep. All right, you got to actually work on some very, very cool movies. Some of my uh, my favorites here. I loved The Cranes. Uh-huh. That was a great movie. Any any special moments in that one? Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed The Cranes. I did a lot of grug stuff. I did the shot um, when the whole avalanche comes and buries them, and as they're coming out of the rocks, shaking up all the, uh, the dust and looking around, going, what happened to our cave? I did that shot. I think the, the shots I'm most pleased with is when, when Grug's lost and he's in the cave, and he's, he's holding his it was a shell or a rock or something, and he throws it against the wall, and you see it close, but he's just, you just feel his... He, he, the world's evolving around him, and he isn't. You know? and you, there's a moment there when he's just like, he's lost. Mm -hmm. He's got his whole life in control, and now he's, the world's passing him by. That shot. Um, you know, a couple of the little fun things. But, yeah, I enjoyed that process. It was really fun to work with uh, the directors. And it was, a, it was a really smooth production, actually. And, and James Baxter was the head of animation. It was good. Very cool. Um, and then, obviously, you got to work on Frozen, a huge, <laughs> huge hit movie. Anything special from that one that kind of stuck with you and that you take with your career here? Yeah. Uh, not so much in terms of what ended up on screen. You know, my time at, at Disney on Frozen was was limited because I was just there to help out on the tail end. So, um, met some really quality people, and, I, and it, it uh, you know, when you work at one place for a long time, you sort of get stuck in the house style in a way. And Disney really sort of gave me the opportunity to to shake up workflow a little bit and uh, how I approach the shots. Not so much in, the, in terms of the thought process, but just more important in terms of how I show of first pass blocking and that sort of thing. So I, I, what I took away from Disney was just sort of an evolution of, of a workflow. They like to see certain things in, in one way, and it was more a traditional way that I used to do on paper pencil, and it sort of brought me back to that. Um, so, you know, and it's always good to, to, to try new things and, and different workflows and such, and I think Disney gave me the opportunity to sort of shake those things up a little bit and, uh, and sort of look at how I'm, I'm doing my animation just in a slightly different way. Would that be a good um, word of advice for people who maybe are going from a studio to a studio where they're willing to at least, like you said, they're trying new things, be willing to not get stuck in their, their rut on, well, hey, this is how I do it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I tell my, ki my kids, my students in my classes that anyone that tells you there's only one way to do something is lying to you. <laughs> um, because 
sometimes you go straight ahead and sometimes you, you layer and move the body cog around and put the body and sometimes you do poses, sometimes you thumbnail, sometimes you shoot reference and sometimes you just go for it. All the, they're all valid and, and I think that the, the nature of the shot you're animating will dictate the best way to approach it, you know. Um, so I think a willingness to, to not accept that this is the way to do it. You know, I have to thumbnail, I have to shoot reference, I have to, because you don't, you know, it, it depends. Sometimes I'll shoot reference and thumbnail from my reference and go from, from there. Other times I'll just straight up thumbnail, sometimes I'll just I'll wing it. And often to different results, and I find that when I go into a shot and start animating it without a really clear idea, I always get into trouble. And yet I'll still allow myself to have that exploration yeah, maybe a couple times over a film just because yeah, maybe I'm looking for that one time it'll work, you know, uh, because the thing that's hard as an animator versus a live action actor is building in those happy accidents is hard. You know, if, if a guy in Star Wars bumps his head, George Lucas can put in a sound effect. It's in the movie. In an animated movie, if you want to do that, you have to plan for animate. It. You have yeah. to plan for it. So trying to, to, to allow those happy accidents to happen I try and fill that in my work. So like I said, that means maybe going ahead, going, I know I'm not ready, but let's, let's spend the next couple hours and, and see if something good comes out of it. And, and sometimes not, and sometimes it does, you know, and then, you know, I don't want to, uh, deny that possibility. So again, sometimes I'll, I'll go into a workflow and go, you know, I'm really not comfortable with this, but I'll play with it for an hour or two. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to what I'm comfortable with, you know, just to, just to see if anything happens that I didn't plan on and, and allow that because the computer does all the in-betweens for you instantly. And so, like I said, maybe there's an in-between there that's a better key than what you plan for. And, and, the, and your strength as an artist is to make the decision to, to, to take advantage of that or not. So I think that a willingness to to try different things and, and is, is good, you know, because we're artists, we want to be creative. But oftentimes it's hard to be creative by Friday at 5 o'clock, you know, or mm-hmm. um, you know, we really need that shot. Be creative now. Or, or, you know, it's hard to build the artist and the production side of it. You, know, you have to serve two masters in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's transition a little bit to the Book of Life. Um, I thought that was a very fun movie. I thought it was beautifully colored and, and lighting and stuff, but it was also very fun animation style. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything different on that movie that you felt like you had to adjust with, being that the, the characters were a little bit different in proportions and things like that? Uh, not really in the sense, because, you know, if, if you try and have more of a, uh, be, you know, like Bruce Lee, be like water, right? You know, if you have that sort of feeling, you adapt to every situation. So all the principles of animation, all that stuff still applies. The challenge became what I enjoyed about that movie artistically was that you did have limitations. And, you know, these characters were, for all intents and purposes, wooden dolls. Uh-huh. So you couldn't do all the, the breathing cycles and the, and the, the big twists, and, the, and you were limited by that. But I, I enjoyed that limitation because it forced you into some creative decision-making. And... Uh, Towards the end of it, I, I was not breathing seconds, but I was trying to twist the wood, just, just trying to get that life in there without it being obvious. And I think that was one of the big challenges. You know, how do you make them exist, by, but still staying true to the um, the world that's been created for them? It felt like it, there was a bit of a, a little bit of a Toy Story esque mm-hmm. animation style because of the, some of the limitations there. Right, right, right. Part of the challenge in Book of Life was was finding those moments where you could go beyond the uh, the limitations that have been set. Like, there's a shot I did of it's towards the beginning of the movie where uh, the three main characters, Joaquin, Maria, and, and Manolo, they're children. They're, and they're 
Joaquin and Manolo are play fighting over Maria, and he's got his guitar, and, and Joaquin's got a sword because he's a soldier. And it was a quite a long shot. I'm, I'm quite pleased how it turned out. But looking at that shot, you know, there's some moments, if you freeze frame it, where some of the hands are three, three, four times the size that they are by default mm. in motion and try and create those moments. And, and if I've done my job well, you don't notice it. Right, right. Even though they're wooden characters, you know, you try and find little moments like that to to still take advantage of the fact that it is animated. They aren't really wood, you know, that they you do have some level of control and, and when to squash, when to stretch, where to put it in, where you feel it but don't really see it. So creatively that was uh, the fun stuff, you know, trying to figure, okay, where, where can I get away with it, you know, in this transition from a quick move to a quick move in the in-between, can I, can I extend the physics a little bit and come up with something fun? So that was one of the challenges I liked about that movie. And if you could, if you did see it, it wasn't good enough. You had to redo it so that you felt it, you know, and, and uh, whether that means extending a finger or elongating a foot or a leg, you know, if you want to get a nice stretch pose, uh, you know, just, just, it forces you to be really specific with your timing and spacing so that it works out. I remember uh, Richard Williams, I think, talks about Ken Harris and how Ken Harris didn't have a lot of really extreme drawings when he was at the Warner Brothers. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, he said that Ken Harris said, if you put your, your poses in the right place at the right time, you don't need to have a lot of really, you know, sort of pushed poses. If, if your timing and spacing works, there's not the need to, you know, to do that. So I like to try and do that. I don't know how successful I am all the time, but if you need to put an, ex, an, an extreme pose in there, you're doing it because you're making a decision based on that moment, not because you need to extend, you know, to cover a gap or distance. Your timing and spacing, you know, hopefully is good. And then any sort of wipe drawing or smear drawing is completely by design and completely an artistic decision. Mm -hmm. Any characters in particular that you enjoyed working on in that movie? You know, I enjoyed them all. I, I did a lot of Manolo, predominantly Manolo. I did uh, a couple of Posada shots, Maria's dad. Um, I, I did one little tiny Zabalba shot, but this guy, Vitor Vilala, Vilala, am I saying that right? Brazilian guy did some beautiful, beautiful work on that character. Mm. Um, yeah, I mostly stuck to Manolo and Joaquin, you know, pre predominantly, and I enjoyed them. You know, they're the main characters of the movie. And yeah, yeah. It's fun. I think the, the fun part for me, again, was, was because Manolo's voice was so, was great, but it was very neutral in a way. So it's, it, but it was very sincere. I thought the, the actor did a, a great job of, you know, communicating his sincerity. So trying to communicate that visually on top of the audio recording uh -huh. was a challenge. I mean, I did a bunch of shots of the, towards the sort of climax of the movie when he's serenading the bull, bull's on fire. And, uh -huh. and he gets, he's been knocked down, he gets up and he starts playing the guitar and really singing to the bull an apology, singing an apology. And those shots in there, uh, I think turned, you know, trying to, again, craft a performance over a series of shots that he's, he's sort of saying, I'm sorry for the way my ancestors have treated your, your, uh, I don't know if you'd say mankind, bull kind. I don't know. Um, and, and it's a moment and you're, you're crafting that moment. And, and I was lucky enough to do a bunch of shots in there. And, and even as well, I did a couple of shots like, you know, Manolo's, I don't want to give too much of the movie away, but he's just gone to the land of the remembered. And he's lying on the ground. He has to get up doesn't know where he is, and he gets up and puts his hand on a tree, and he looks at his hand and realizes that it's bones. And the realization that where he is, and, and now he can go on with his journey. You know, like, those kind of moments I loved being able to be part of on Book of Life. You know, just, not just the simple mechanic shots, but really trying to see if these characters can can, can resonate, you know. Mm -hmm. So do you enjoy uh, acting pieces more than straight body mechanic stuff? 
You know, I like it all. I think ideally I'd like to have a, you know, you'd like to have a blend. Because mm -hmm. I think if you have some good kinetic shots, some good uh, characters running, jumping, whatever, they can be fun because you're, you're creating a, a mood or feeling through motion, through movement. And the acting stuff I like because, but it's a different, it's a little bit different mindset. You know, your, your approach has changed a little bit for each one. But then even crowd shots, I don't necessarily love crowd shots because they're a lot of work, but I like that the, you have to choreograph crowd shots. If you have more than some characters, you have to have stillness here. Well, this is action. You know, I think they all offer, uh, they all offer something for me. Um, but I, I, I tend to like working on the more, I guess moments for the thing, but yeah, acting stuff. I like it all. It's, I don't have a preference. You know, I, I, if I had a preference, I would prefer not to do tons of crowd shots, but I, think that, <laughs> I don't think the quota changes too much, but you still have a lot more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you enjoy still about animation? What do I enjoy still about animation? Uh, I mean, here you've been doing it for over 20 years. Yeah. What is it that you still enjoy about it? What keeps you fresh as a, as an artist? <sighs> The pursuit of doing something good, I guess, you know, because as an artist, it's weird. You know, I feel that to be a good artist, you need to invest yourself in your work in some way. But as an animator, if you do that and you show your work to someone else, you get criticism for the work. And I find as an artist, sometimes it's, it's hard, even after 20 years, it's hard to separate the criticism of the work from the criticism of the artist because you've invested, you know, you've put something of yourself in there. And, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't. And, and, but I think what keeps me going is to try and try and be good, you know, try and get better. Well, you know, one shot better, every shot one day better every day. And, and some days I'm better than I was yesterday. And, and some days I'm not, but, but every day I get up, I want to be better today than I was yesterday. And I don't want to get stuck in, you know, um, I don't know. Like I said, I think what drives me is it's just that, you know, I've been lucky that I have, I have a lot of heroes in this business mm -hmm. and I want to be as good as they are. And I don't know if I'll ever get there, but the pursuit is what keeps me going. Like, again, we were talking about Charlie Bonifacio the other day and I, and I, um, He's a big influencer in my career. And, I, and when I listened to his podcast the other day, I, I was amazed at why he was lying so much. You know, he was saying that he, that he struggles with the same things I struggle with. Well, of course he doesn't because he's he's just amazing. You know, he's, <laughs> he's so far head and shoulders above me and I'll never get there. And, and why is he saying these things that aren't true? And But they are true, you know. So it's that sort of it's that pursuit. You know, I, I want to be as good as he is. I want to be as good as Rudolph or Stephen Frank or Troy Sliva. And in my journey may be different than theirs, but it's that it's that um, striving for excellence, I guess. And and when I when I miss, it hurts. And when I get there, it's not real. You know, it sounds really weird, but, <laughs> but it's like you know, it's like, I'm a fraud. And one of these days, everyone's going to find out. And even when you do something that's great, you're like, oh, I was lucky. I, I got lucky with that one. And, and it's, it's this whole insecurity thing. But but it's that pursuit of of doing something good. Truly good, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of the work I've done on all the movies I've done, even the bad movies. But you know, I think there's there's some there's sometimes you create a moment and it just it comes alive. Like for me, one of those ones was that those shots I did in Cruz when he's just grug in the in the cave. I think something about those shots really resonated with them, and I think they they're beyond just movement on a screen. And, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm wrong about that, but it's the pursuit of that. Uh, that's it's not images on a screen anymore. It's it's something that that's alive. Uh, 
you know, and you can't do it by yourself. It's got to be crafted into the piece of, of film. Mm-hmm. You have to have it set up for you. But, but, you know, that's, I guess, one of the things that keeps me going. And among other things, you know, I like to eat and uh, have a roof over my head. And that <laughs> helps motivate me, too. <laughs> What's been your favorite movie to work on? Or maybe a couple. You know, they all they all offer something for different reasons. Uh, like I said, I enjoyed it, Crazy Nights, because I had a, a more influence on that one than others. But at the same time, I don't think it's a great movie. But it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Crudes was great because there were the production people like uh, Michelle Staffless and, and Karen Rapallo were the two production gals on it, and and I just really got along with both of them. Michelle especially, she just sort of we we clicked, you know, and it was a fun experience, and we had some fun on that as a production and the movie turned out really well. Book of life was one that I cherished because Jorge, our director, Guterres, it's been a lifelong dream of his to make this movie. And so when he would look at the shots and dailies, there was no falseness to him. It was, if he loved something, he expressed it. And, and it was his, this movie that's been living in him for, I don't know how many years is coming alive and his joy at that process. Um, was infectious, you know, you just sort of fed off it. And, and if you looked at your shot and you go, oh, that's amazing, best thing I've ever seen. And when you didn't get that praise or that, that reaction from him, you felt that you failed him. I felt I failed him in some way, you know, so that was a fun one. And it was a special movie and, and I enjoyed that one. And, you know, they all offer great things. I think Bartok was good because it was the first movie I was actually animating on and mm. learning a lot. And, you know, there've been some ones that I haven't enjoyed as much, but I think at the end of the day, they all have something to offer. I don't know if I have a singular favorite. I guess the singular favorite is always the one I'm working on now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about characters? What would have been some of your favorite characters throughout your career? I don't know if I can answer that honestly, you know, cause I, I did some, some work that everyone seemed to really like on Panda too, but I really didn't like the character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know. If I, have, if, I have a, if I have a favorite character per se, I don't know if I do. Okay. I know that's not a really good answer to your question. Well, it's interesting nonetheless, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have honesty here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to start all over then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned, you've been doing this for quite some time now. What advice would you give younger artists in this industry? What advice would I give? I would probably say things like don't accept anything just because someone tells you. Question it a lot. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, you know, maybe it was just my journey. If I had only done the curriculum and the things asked of me during my career, I would be out of this business, mm. you know? And one of the things I get frustrated with my students is that the, the world is literally at their fingertips with the internet now. And mm-hmm. I'm amazed that they don't think to use it. <laughs> so I would always try and, you know, try and find ways to, to express yourself, especially as students, because you have the opportunity to express yourself as an individual, you know, like when you're animating a shot, you know, you're putting something of yourself in it. What, is, what are you saying? You know, what does that, what does that mean? You know, try and find the, the individuality in your work. What are you bringing to it that, isn't on the page or in the storyboard, but also with the understanding that it might not be kept. The director might have a clear vision for it, but, but really, you know, really kind of invest and, and don't just go through the motions and never stop learning and, and try and be open. And, you know, sometimes I need to take that advice myself, but, um, you know, animation is so much more competitive now, but there are more jobs and there's different opportunities and it, it's a, it's a great thing, but it's a tough business and, you know, 
but it beats working for a living, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Advice for young people. I would just, it would just be look for inspiration everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when it was drawings and stuff, I would look through fashion illustration for how to draw wrinkles and foils and drapery. Or I would look for, like I was telling, I'd create these binders just full of drawings that other people had done that I, I just thought there was something about them that I had to have. Mm. Whatever it manifests itself as an individual basis for the other people, you know, just, just, you know, dig deep and, and there's, you know, always know that there's more. Mm. I like that. Okay. This one's uh, just kind of throwing it out there. Okay. If you weren't animating, what other career would you be doing right now? What, what, is, what else is there something that you enjoy that you go, okay, if I couldn't animate, this is what I would want to do? You know, I, I always, I used to coach kids hockey and I, I always enjoyed working with the kids. I've always liked teaching in a way. Uh, I would like to be like a, a goalie coach, work with kids and stuff for hockey. You um, like working with people, I like, you know, that aspect of it. Uh, I'd like to, I used to say car mechanic, except I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> There's but something like, that intrigues you about that, though. You well, something about animator, your your problem solving. So problem solving, and I, I like I like doing stuff. You know, um, I, I, I don't know what I can, you know. Certainly now at this point in my life and career, I don't know if I can do anything else. Um, teacher, maybe I don't know. I don't know, okay. but probably probably something to do with hockey and, and being involved with with organized hockey in some way. The reason why I ask, I was just kind of curious on what other stuff interests people you know i know other artists oftentimes they play an instrument or something like that so i just kind of always curious on what other uh part of your life that you, you enjoy yeah, doing. i dumped i jumped off the deep end with this business and i and i'm lucky i was able to do it because i didn't ever know or was too naive to realize that maybe i maybe i won't succeed i never not saying it didn't enter my mind in the sense of uh confidence thing i just it just never when i went to college i never considered that I'd fail and kind of glad for that naivete because I think if I understood the, that I might fail, I probably would have, you know, and it wasn't an, it wasn't a confidence thing. It was just, it just, it just didn't occur to me. So I kind of put all my eggs in this basket. Uh-huh. I can't, I don't storyboard. I don't do a lot of other things. I don't model. I don't rig. Uh, and so in that sense, it, it made me singularly focused, but also very restricted in what I'm, what skills I have to offer. <laughs> in that respect, <laughs> that, I guess. <laughs> Well, what you do, you obviously do well, so that's that's quite all right. I've watched your demo reel. <laughs> <laughs> I do okay. I, I get by. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's neat, though, too. I um I like that idea of what you mentioned there, that singularity of, of focus. I think there's times when, because you mentioned animation is hard, and I think yeah. sometimes I think if you can – you can kind of get in a bit of that despair. So I think having that singularity of focus, like you mentioned, you just didn't know that you, that you could fail. And so you just keep going. Yeah. You know, again, as artists, you look at it and you, you hit that moment. We all do it. No matter how long you've been doing this, this, uh, this work, you get to a moment occasionally where you say, I'm not good. Can't do it. Uh, I'm a failure, all these things. And it happens. I think it's important to realize for everybody, but especially young artists starting out is that, Everybody struggles and everybody has their process and their journey. And if you're sitting in your room in somewhere in Europe and someone and the rest of your class is everywhere else, you don't have that sense of, you don't see the day to day. You don't see the other artists struggle. I think Michelangelo said if people could see how much he struggles with his art, they wouldn't find it that impressive, you know? And I think there's an element of that, that you're not alone. Uh, and that no matter how talented you are as an artist, that those, those little doubts creep in and, and, 
And I think the difference between what I experienced now, 20 years in, and what other artists starting out do is that I know that it'll pass. I know I'll get through it. I know that tomorrow or later today or the next day or the next week, my shot will be okay. Either I'll do it on my own or I'll get help or someone will look at something, director, and give me a note, and I know it'll be fine. I think that's the big difference between having experience in, in doing this and, and not, is that when you're younger, you don't see anyone else's journey. You don't see their struggle with their shot. But also it seems very um, – you, you can't see over the mountain. And uh, like I said, you know, having gone through it so many times and continuing to do so, like I look at it, and if I'm frustrated at the moment, I'm not getting it, I'll go for a walk. And I know that sometimes when I get back from my walk, I'll have the answer. And sometimes I won't. But if I don't at that time, then I will at some moment, you know. Why don't you think it? Um, why don't you think it gets easier for you? Then I'm just out of curiosity. It, get, it gets easier in the sense of uh, I know the process. Uh-huh. So if you look at the creative process, like the Betty Edwards creative process, you start with a you know you have a problem to solve, then you have a, like a, an incubation period and a saturation period, and then your eureka moment and your resolution. You know, you can take those the, the phases of the creative process and you can marry them quite easily up to the phases of the animation process. So I, I kind of know where I'm at in the process at all times. Um, and I think one of the reasons I, I kind of like that I struggle with this is it means that there's a, a pursuit of something original or at least pursuit of something okay. individual about the shot. You know, if you just do something, go, oh, I did this in another film, it'll work, it's fine. I think that it's, you've, you've given up in a way. Um, so I don't mind that I struggle, and I know that I'll come through the other end well. It, it might not be pleasant at the moment, but, but I think that's part of, of, of being creative and, and trying to have that, again, that pursuit of being good, you know. Um, and sometimes you, 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 you plug in something that you've done before because it works, and that's the needs of the production, you know. Uh, characters running across screen. It's an incidental character. There's nothing. There's no backstory. There's nothing. So you, you do a run cycle, and you do it. That's fine. But if you're trying to, to craft a moment or a performance and, you know, I don't want to accept my first ideas. And if that means I'm going to struggle a little bit, I think at the end, hopefully it's worth the struggle. Is that what makes animation so fun for you? Yeah, I think one of the things I like about animation is it isn't easy and that not everyone can do it and that sometimes I do well and sometimes I struggle and, and I think that's okay. And um, yeah, yeah, I still love it. You know, I, I, I usually read about animation most nights when I'm going to bed, like whether like right now I'm reading Walt's people's books, some of the series of those books, interviews with people that worked with Walt Disney, mm. or I'll listen to podcasts. Like I listened to Charlie's podcast twice last week, or I'll, someone will send out a, a, an animated video. Like I think the trailer for, for Mune out of Mikros right now, you can watch that and you're like, wow, that's brilliant. And, um, you know, I, I love it. I love the history of it. I like learning, you know, because we stand on the shoulders of giants and I want to learn about those giants and I want to learn about the guys that no one writes about. And, and that's harder. And, yeah, yeah, I don't know why I love it so much, to be honest. And I think if I did, I probably wouldn't love it as much. <laughs> well, I got to <laughs> tell you, as a student, when I was particularly going through the workshops that I animate, that was a a big wake up to hear a lot of the instructors still go through those same struggles. And so I I appreciate you talking about that because yeah, that w there was some comfort in that because you're going yeah, like you said, you feel like okay, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. And it's important because, you know, a lot of times we're in our own rooms or in our own offices or cubicles and you don't see the guy next, you look at the guy next to you and you go, like Ricardo Curtis, this guy who's, who's a fantastic artist. I don't know how hard he worked. So for me to look at his work and say, I can never do that. 
is maybe a little disrespectful to him mm. because he may have worked his tail off to get there and I don't want to discredit any of his journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's important to realize that there's that. I remember we're looking at a shot, Ken Duncan animator shot on Shark Tale. It was the first shot that I'd ever seen in the computer. Looking at it, like, oh, it's amazing. And I know Ken's a brilliant animator. I'll never do it. And then I, for some reason I found his incarnations, his first pass, second pass. And it really brought home to me like, well, I could do that. The first pass, you know, look at the first pass and you say, oh, okay. And then you see the evolution and, you, and it becomes something achievable. Yeah, something realistic, you know, a goal you can get. And, and you look at it going, okay, you know, even if you look at, uh, like James Baxter used to do these lectures at DreamWorks when I was there, and, and he would show his first pass of Rafiki, and you look at it, and, and James has this gift, that he, you know, aside from being a brilliant animator, I think his real gift is being able to, like, if you take the quote, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, that personifies James Baxter, because he'll do an amazing shot. And, oh, how do you do that? And when he explains to you how he did it, you're like, oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. Because it, 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 he he works that way. Like his 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 approach, his brain works that way. And when you when it, you relate it to you, you're like, oh, okay. Doesn't mean I can do it, but it means that it's accessible, you know. And um, and I, I don't know. I kind of meandered and forgotten your question. If I'm being honest, <laughs> no, I, I was <laughs> I was just uh, occur uh, concurring with your. Uh, oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that struggle thing is important because. Um, yeah, it's important, you, you know, to learn that your heroes have off days too, and they're people, and and, and that's and even though you think they're lying, they're not, <laughs> you know, and that's that's important to know. All right, you you mentioned you read a lot, so any particular uh, books that you would uh, uh, recommend right now? Animation books? Yeah. Well, or, or anything, you know. It, Here's a great, uh, that's a good question there because I know there's a lot of other stuff that people draw inspiration from. So just right. you would say, Hey, obviously this is an animation podcast. Yeah. Something that you would go, Hey, even if this didn't deal with animation, this was a great inspiration for me as an animator. If you look at yourself as an individual and, and you, you take your life experience and put it into your work, anything that makes you, uh, a broader person, you can take that and put it into your work. I mean, I just finished reading a book called The Crazy Game by Clint Malarczyk. I read a lot of, uh, because I'm a hockey goalie and I'm a bit of a crazy hockey goalie, <laughs> I probably have 50 books on, on goalies at least, and I read them a lot and reread them a lot. And um, so I finished that one. I just finished uh, Gory Hauser. I mean, I learned a lot about uh, hockey players. And when you think about it, I guess, you know, I don't know if I'm attracted to them because there are a lot of them are about perseverance and mm. and success and, and working hard uh, or it's just, I like goalies, you know, so uh, I read a lot of books about that. And, you know, I read a lot of books about animation, but also artists. Um, you know, I bought Dan DiCarlo, who did a lot of the Archie comics, and I got one of his books, I think Seduction and, I forget the name of the book, Art and Seduction or something. And he did a lot of pinup type stuff in the 40s and the 50s, and, and just the evolution of him as an artist or George Price as an artist. Not so much looking at them in terms of the words of their lives, but just seeing the evolution of the art. Like, if you look at Al Hirschfeld's early work, it's very heavily influenced by Michel Covert-Rubius, who was an artist they shared with. And then he goes off and does his own thing, and then other people are inspired by him. And I, I like to see the, the evolution of that. Um, you know, my early work as an animator is heavily influenced by the people around me, the Booth Group and so on, or Charlie and Wayne. And, and then as I added more pieces to that, you know, how I've evolved, I like books of that nature. Um, seeing... You're learning, like, if you learn about the Nine Old Men and so on, seeing how they evolved from the group ahead of them, the Bill Titlers and the Art Babbitts and the Hamlusks and so on, how they taught the Nine Old Men and the Nine Old Men evolved. 
Because a lot, some of the Nine Men were failed illustrators. Mel Call was an illustrator. You know, they had that that they brought to animation. They weren't pure animators, all of them. And so, how did they take that and and add it into their? You know, if you look at animation as a stew, you know, how did they add those ingredients to come up with something that is their stew? You know, their animation potluck. Uh, you know, so how do I add my experiences in life, my experience as an artist, as a hockey player, as a husband, as a whatever, and then add that in the Manolo or add that in a Grug, and and maybe some of it doesn't fit in those characters, but maybe some of it does. And, and I like reading books about that sort of stuff. I like uh, reading a lot of books on. I'm a big uh, Buster Keaton fan. I like a lot of his stuff. I watch videos, and I don't know if there's anything specific, but animation books I recommend. Uh, Sid Field Screenplay, which isn't an animation book, but it's a film book. And the only first couple chapters, I like that. Uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. Again, more about movies. And, um, you mentioned uh, Buster Keaton, and I think, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but in the uh, interview with Jason, I don't know if you mentioned him or not, so correct me. But I, I think you mentioned one of my absolute favorite artists was the um, Marx Brothers. Oh, I probably didn't, actually. I don't know okay. that much of the Marx Brothers. Okay. But, you know, how the Marx Brothers relate to, say, Buster Keaton, I, I like that. You know, that the Marx Brothers, when talkies came in, when, the, when they came up with sound, all the major studios, you know, they wanted the Marx Brothers because their whole act was based on dialogue, you know, and that sort of pushed a guy like Buster Keaton out because he didn't, you know. So... So apologies if I've, if I've now got an impression of you. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's like a connection that, there, but oh, well, okay. But I, I like learning about people's journeys and their successes and their failures and how they rebound. Um, animation books, like I said, I, I, um, I think probably the best how-to animation book out there is the Richard Williams Animation Bible Kit. The Illusion of Life is, a, is a, a, looking back now, I think it's more of a history book uh, written by some guys that have their take on it. I mean, they kind of rewrote history. Yeah. Because they survived, they lived the longest. Um, the Preston Blair book I like. You know, I continue to find more and more stuff in that as I get older. But I like to try and find books that aren't specifically animation books that I can then take something from them and apply, like just from more random sources. That you know, it's sort of the thing. If I if you only study animators and animation, you'll never be as good as those people in a way. Well, Steve, I don't want to take up any more of your time, and I do, again, really appreciate it. This has been a very cool podcast, very informative. I dig it. And well, so, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I thank you for, for taking the time to, to, to hear what I have to say. I <laughs> uh, hope other people will like to hear some of the stuff, too, and, you know, I enjoy it. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk with you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate your time. All right. You're welcome, Larry. Take care. All right. That is the end of part one of the podcast with Steve Cunningham. Check back at iAnimate.net for the second part coming out in about a week. Take care.